Welcome in to another episode of Security Sessions. Uh, today, I brought in Will, Stas, and Derek to talk about a really hot topic, and I'm excited to have some great thought leadership to share here um, on the concept of mental health in the information security space. A lot of professionals we find that we speak with are kind of struggling with that balance, and even on this show, when we step outside of that topic, very often this kind of theme comes back um, up and becomes um, you know, something we're discussing. So with us today to share some information on this, we have uh, Derek. Derek, thanks for joining us. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, where you're coming from. Yeah, so uh, I'm Derek Scheller. I also go by the Cyber Warrior. I have my own shows and, and content and stuff that I put out. I am a practice manager for security engineering, uh, working with Will down here, uh, as well as quite a few other very, very intelligent people. I've been in this space a long time, military veteran. So for me, mental health has been huge and something that I let go by the wayside for way too many years. And so in the past, you know, few years, maybe two or three, I've really started concentrating on it. And it is something that is really needed in this industry and it needs to be paid more attention to. So it's kind of a, a priority of mine on social media um, for a while now. Excellent. Well, Derek, thank you for your service. And uh, as someone who's watched quite a few of your shows, I highly recommend anybody who's checking this show out to also go over and check out the Cyber Warrior. Um, I think a big show dropping tomorrow, which should be fun and interesting. Das, happy for you to introduce yourself. Sure. Um, so I'm Stas Pachuca. Um, I'm an information security professional. I've been in the space for 20 something years. Um, I've got a degree in it. I've got every accreditation in the space and, you know, I live and breathe it. I've been a former CISO um, uh, twice. Um, and now I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Compile, uh, which does uh, security automation. Thanks for being here with us today. So I guess as a former CISO, you couldn't get enough of it. So you started your own GRC company. Very well done. That's right. Uh, and Will, uh, why don't you round us out? Yeah, so uh, Will Klusovsky, um, 20 lots of years <laughs> in the security space. Uh, like Derek, uh, you know, vet started out as a, you know, in the, in the military. In that time I've spent, you know, the majority, after that, most of my time has been spent with consulting and managed services. So I spent a lot of my time kind of working with CISOs um, and, you know, helping them solve all the problems and um, as, as Derek mentioned, I'm sure we're going to get into it, you know, it, you know, especially us coming from a military background, like mental health isn't necessarily a priority for you. It's a mission accomplishment. And, uh, so yeah, just much more recently, you know, it's something that I've, uh, started to think a lot more about and realized, you know, how important it is. So it should be fun to chat with today. Great. Well, uh, thank the three of you for being here. Will, again, uh, similar to Derek, thank you for your service. Um, so I want to kind of frame this up. Will, I'm going to kind of point this right back to you. Um, I did some research. I pulled a recent report and it read 91% of cybersecurity professionals report feeling stressed in their role. 45% even consider quitting their role due to stress. Now, as somebody like myself who hasn't made a career in the security field, I think there's other roles within an organization that may also feel stress. Why do you feel the stress of a security professional, um, a CISO, a CTO, would be different stress than maybe a, uh, a revenue officer or a marketing officer? Yeah, that's so that's interesting. Because um, I kind of tend to agree with you, right? I don't think there's, there are probably some stress low low stress or i won't say stress-free positions um but 
I, I feel like everybody kind of has some stress to deal with. I, I used to joke that, you know, um, when you interview for a job, they say, hey, well, how do you deal with stress? And I'm like, if I'm not being shot at, there's no stress. Um, and, and and that's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a joke, but it's also like, it's about perspective, right? So um, I think if you look at it that way, if you're a revenue officer at a company that's making a whole lot of money, um, you know, where is your stress coming from? But uh, I don't think anybody in the security industry um, feels like, oh, yeah, we're perfect. We're not going to get hacked. I've got all the support I need. Um, I know everything I need to know. I, I know, you know, by, you know, in the time I've been around and with my own skill set, security individuals, we tend to think of ourselves, we tend to be more humble, which I know sounds weird, but um, because we're the type of people who they want to know everything about how everything works before we consider ourselves an expert. Um, so if there's something we don't know, then we stress about that. Um, you know, I can, as somebody who talks to lots and lots of people, both above and below my experience level, I go into any room thinking that everybody in there knows more than I do. Um, and I, it's usually not the case. It doesn't come out that way. So, I mean, that's probably some undue stress, you know, on my part that causes the, the, uh, need to overcompensate and work a little harder on things than necessary. Um, I mean, it's easy to say that these roles, you know, that we're strapped for talent or people aren't hiring enough, but I think a lot of it comes down to probably the mentality of those, the types of people who take on this work. It's interesting. I, I, I feel that there is in this space, <clears throat> I feel that there is more of a gray area than other departments that exist in organizations. And sometimes that potentially unknown of what could be coming or what the next form of attack could be could maybe present stress. Um, Stas, I'm curious, you know, you've, you've been a CISO for, uh, you know, worldwide organizations. Uh, I'm sure you've dealt with a fair share of stress. How, how do you kind of think about the stress in this role compared to maybe other departments? Um, just piggybacking off of Will's example of the chief revenue officer, um, I mean, not a whole lot changes from, you know, from a financial uh, ledger perspective, you know, balance sheets are balance sheets. So um, where I think in the security space, it's ever changing, right? I mean, there's something new every day, someone's getting breached, some some new zero days released. Um, so not only is it you have to stay on top of everything, but there's also quick responses as well, right? So things are being brought to your attention all the time um, that you have to deal with. Usually you're under-resourced. Um, uh, we have way too much stuff uh, going on and uh, it's, and you know, un most of the time unappreciative uh, or unappreciated in most organizations as well. So when you tie all that stuff together, it becomes a really stressful job. I think the stat right now for CISO is like eight, the, it, the last an average of 18 months. Um, and, uh, and that stats existed for a very long time. Like it, it's, for as long as I can remember, that's always the number. It's been 18 months. It's always been that number. And, <laughs> and oftentimes they're like, I actually spoke to an information security CEO a few weeks ago, and she was saying like, it's almost like they're engineering their way out. Um, like they want to get, they want to get parachuted out because something will ultimately happen. <laughs> and as long as they have a good package uh, negotiated, they're good to go. But I, I don't, I'm just being facetious. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting because one of another another part of this that I think about is just the um the 
you know, security sometimes isn't just front of mind for an organization. Revenue seems to be a little more front of mind. And when you're talking about numbers, those concepts seem to be a little easier for people to grasp than the idea of like a threat landscape. Um, so I think it's hard also because you have a really pressing job to keep the place secure, but you struggle to have the um, clear communication that is understood throughout the whole organization of what secure is and how you're gonna define secure. Um, Derek, I'm curious in your opinion, where you kind of land there with kind of the stress in the security roles versus other departments. So I came up in IT. So, you know, that that department as I was coming up uh, wasn't really stressful um, in my eyes, right? Because I understood how to fix computers and, and help desk and sysadmin. Like a lot of that was easy. And so it comes easy. It doesn't really change very often unless, you know, you're dealing with a lot of Microsoft products like Azure where it changes every day and they change names of things. Um, but for the most part, it was, it was pretty basic. All the steps and in, in, in things to do were always the same. In security, however, um, there's, unless you work for a security company, security is always the first to go. So the CEOs of these organizations and, and those that watch the money Anytime there's budget cuts, it's your security department that gets the cut. If there's a breach, your CISO is the fall guy. And he could have been there for a month or she could have been there for a month. It doesn't matter. You are now the fall guy. You're the fall person. You're gone because you, you're supposed to secure my organization. So because we always have these thoughts of, you know, it has to be secure. It has to do this. It is very hard to do that when, say, 60% of your security team gets cut. And so now you've got 40% left doing the job of, you know, 10 people when there's only three. So the, then you don't even have your work-life balance to de-stress, right? There's, there's no way to get rid of it because now you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week because you're doing more than one job and more than what you're supposed to. So a lot of this comes from the top down. Your, your, your directors, your CISOs, your Security managers can only do so much. If they're not getting buy-in and support from the CEO, the CIO, the CTO, all these other board members and all these others that are supposed to run the organization, your security team's going to get burnt out. And so either they're going to get burnt out or they're just going to stop. They're going to work their nine to five and they're not going to answer that call at 501. At 501, good luck, have fun. I'm not touching it because you don't pay me enough to do it. And so I think that's where a lot of this stress come from because all they ever see is they're going to get fired. One mistake is all it's going to take and they're going to be fired. There's always going to be a fall guy. And you, you, so that's, that's where I think a lot of it comes from. And when you're comparing it to other things, that's not something you have to worry about in accounting unless, you know, you mess up the books and now they, you know, all of a sudden lose $2 million. Now, now there's a problem. Yeah. But for the most part, you're you're not responsible for the security of the organization and because there's no 100 percent guaranteed way to protect a network um you have to be proactive and reactive everybody's going to get breached at one point you, you mentioned the technology and i i hadn't thought about it until you said it derek because and i, I too came up in it um and if, if if you look at what's changed in it or accounting or anything else over the last yeah, we have cloud and SaaS and, you know, things, but I mean, versus unless you're working for a leading edge company who is adopting this 
the coolest, newest, you know, technology every day at the, the, the soonest minute. And very few are. I worked at companies, you know, in the past who consulted with those. And, you know, of the, the, the thousands of people in, you know, whatever industry vertical, like a very small percentage were playing with like the metaverse when it came out, a very small percentage were, were, were actually looking at, you know, AI like years ago. Right. So, um, but in security, there's 50 new products that come out every day <laughs> and, and, and everything that possibly could go wrong, some attackers trying to exploit. And then there's a bunch of people on the other side trying to make a product to to stop that from happening. Um, and so, you know, all the amount of data that has to be given and all the decision making that has to go to it. I mean, that's that's a great point. I, I had not even really thought about like how much that technology changing is just got to be impactful to the brain. And yeah. in IT, it's all the same, right? Active mm -hmm. Directory is Active Directory. They may change the way it, it sounds. They may, you know, change GPOs to rules and things like that. But at the end of the day, the concepts, the foundations are always the same. They just slap a new name on it or a new, you know, widget on top. You know, when you've got all these other vendors, they're like, oh, we're a layover for AD. So you never actually go into Active Directory. Our tool, which does the same as Active Directory, directly easily. Active Directory. I'm like, <laughs> just let me into Active Directory. I don't need a tool to tell Active Directory what to do. But in security, to your point. With AI now, so now and and plus with ransomware sellers and all this stuff on the on the um you know dark web and and all this other stuff, you constantly have to worry. And if you do not work in a consulting space where your job is to help these people secure their companies, which let's be honest, that's the other part of it. So many companies aren't putting forth the money to secure their organizations; they're checking the box. Yeah, all these regulations, all these whatever frameworks, and all that are literally just there for them to check the box, say, yeah, I did it, so they're not liable. So that yep. the insurance will pay out when they know they're inevitably going to get breached. That's all it is. Then they've got reinsurers who will take care of it when the, the money gets too high. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, And that's, well, that's what it comes down to. You know, what I was kind of thinking of, Stas, you always have this line that has resonated with me from a security professional perspective. Uh, you know, the C-level's looking at them and they say, what are you doing when things are going good or things are going bad, right? That concept yeah. of not being able to effectively show that, hey, we're secure and I'm proactively maintaining our security. But the moment something goes bad, it's like, hey, what were you doing? But if yeah. you're doing a great job, it's like, hey, what are they doing? Yeah. Why pay them if we're secure? Uh, because we're secure because you pay us. <laughs> it's like dishes. Nobody cares unless they're not done. Yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a cost center, right? I mean, it's a cost center and it's very hard to actually show uh, ROI, right? On If you're secure, then exactly what you just said, Dan. Like, uh, they're wondering what you're doing. You get breached, they're wondering what you're doing, and then you get sacked, right? So it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm fa I, I, I famously quote my my old colleague about security. Um, security people like to think that we're really, you know, exciting spec ops people, but we're really boring. Security is, you know, seatbelts and airbags. Yeah, um, it's the safety features of the car. And, as you know, I, I have a friend of mine who told me a story once about his daughter getting in a car accident and, you know, a really bad accident. None of the airbags deployed. And he immediately went and uh, bought a much more expensive, much more safe car um, after that happened. But it wasn't something he had thought about when he bought that car the original time, right? The first car. 
you know something something that uh the three of you were talking about is this this idea of like i don't know let's put a a decade in the last 10 years um more technology has kind of come forward and more threats have come forward so there it makes sense right the threat comes forward and now someone spins off a new tool to kind of mitigate the risk but i think it's that can also be stressful right will you're talking about just having to learn constantly learn new tools and relearn new tools and constantly be sharp and on your feet when it comes to uh, emerging threats and what you know uh, what potentially could be coming towards you will i'm curious you know you you sit in front of and uh, work and partner with a lot of organizations how do security professionals what what does it look like when a security professional um is kind of debating, you know, bringing on a new piece of software and trying to look at how is this, is this actually helping me? Is this slowing me down? Is this going to be adopted? You know, did I get budget for it? I feel like there's so much that goes into those decisions. Yeah, I mean, the size of the organization usually has a determination as to how complicated and well, that's going to be. And, and with complexity comes more, um, uh, more assurance that hey I'm doing it the right way right you know um, I think at at, the, at this point so if you look at the last ten years um, within ten years I know you know I would go talk to clients and they would be like oh yeah yeah the so and so rep came in and he showed me this tool and it looks really good we're gonna buy it right um, that I don't think happens so much today um, today they they really no they got just send you messages on LinkedIn saying hey here you go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Would you like one? Yeah. But but now that like a lot at least from the leadership side, right? The CISOs have realized, well, I need a plan because there's too many things to buy, not enough money to buy it all. Yeah. Um, and then and they really are, you know, looking at how much is this going to move the needle. I preach constantly about, you know, making sure that whatever service or whatever technology, whatever you get, you know, procure and deliver. That it's you know it's the money spent in the right place right it's, it's the am i putting um laser beams in my my air vents but my front door is unlocked right so i, I think there's a knowledge there that kind of exists and that and there's probably they all have things that they want to do um fortunately or or unfortunately depending on how you look at it um you've got a lot of organized a lot of product companies now with platforms so microsoft tanium um, to name a few, right? Uh, AWS, maybe a little bit, right? But you know, you're starting to get a lot more with one product or one vendor or one source, which makes it easier to consume all of these different things. Where if you were going to piece it together, um, like you said, that's going to create more of a headache. But to to the, at the same point, there's an entire industry of people who do nothing but make products that um, make Active Directory easy to use, <laughs> you know, so. It doesn't even make it easier. It's just. <laughs> just so man, you don't have to the, learn the, the, the command line. I mean, that's. Oh, it was so bad. So bad <laughs> when we started using those in the military. I was like, no, I'm not touching it. Just give me my. I mean, you can't do, you can't do IGA natively, right? You can't do identity governance without help from somebody else other than like, you're going to have Microsoft because right. you have Azure Navy, but you need somebody else to make it really work, right? Right now. Um, but you know, anyway, so that's, yeah, I think, um, you know, that's how they, they kind of deal with it. They, they really do look at the risk reward. It, so while it's not a return on investment so much, it's, is this the right investment? But I think with the right tool and with the right solution, right? So you look at something like Microsoft, like Azure or Tanium or, or any of the others that now 
instead of using all these point solutions require that require a specialist in just that piece of software. So Splunk, and then, you know, you need an EDR specialist for something like CrowdStrike and then something for something else and something else. And, you know, when you're looking at these platforms, now all you have to know is the platform and understand the foundations of what it's trying to do. So GRC or, or compliance or patch management. And a lot of people that are looking at something like uh, an Azure or a Tanium, if they know the platform, they can do everything in it. They just may need a little bit of guidance on, okay, for compliance, what am I looking at here, right? Or for patching, all right, what's our maintenance window? Do we want to push this out? How do we want to do it? But once you know the platform, you have this visibility across the board and you know, no, no longer need an individual to master each of these all right. separate things, which is going to cost an organization, you know, at a senior level, probably 150 plus, depending on location and, and things like that, um, to master these individual items. But then it makes it harder to find someone also, because now you're limiting yourself because you're like, I need Splunk knowledge. Well, the amount of people out there with Splunk certifications at the rate at which you're looking and at the level at which you're willing to pay are few and far between, because a lot of times they're like, I'm going to pay you mid-level, but to get that knowledge, you're a senior <laughs> level. So I'm not going to take this pay whenever I'm, I can make more somewhere else doing something else. And so <laughs> you're, you're having these issues um, with point solutions. So I do think the platform solutions that are coming out um, and, and, and how they're advancing it. AWS, I'm not a big fan of their SIM slash vulnerability management platform within AWS. I've used it before, Security Hub, I think it's called. Um, not a huge fan, but they're still developing it. They're still yeah. working within their infrastructure. Azure's doing the same thing. Tanium is now bringing the ability for hybrid and cloud, right? So now we're able to like work with everything within one platform and we don't have to isolate ourselves. So all these different things plan and there's other vendors out there doing the same thing, but that's, it's, I, I know people don't like single pane of glass and they hate that term. There's a lot of people that hate it because you can't get a single pane of glass. There's always gonna be something else that you do that's outside of what you're monitoring. But for what they offer, a lot of these platforms do offer as close as possible, I'll say two or three panes of glass instead of just one. <laughs> well, they, allow, they allow the non-enterprise, like or the non, you know, Fortune 100, 500 to get the, that quality, right? To be able yep. to, to go to one place and get everything they need. Especially when we're talking about, you know, stressed individuals again, so an organization who can commit to, you know, one or two platforms instead of 30 different point solutions can hire less staff, pay more for them. You got smarter people who understand it and can execute on it, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of the software, um, depending, you know, spanning different solution sets. But like, I think at the end of the day, a big push that I've seen in the last few years is just the idea of automation and kind of like having things in place to take care of the error prone redundant tasks um and having them you know having confidence they're going to get done correctly um because i think like that's how that must be a, a bit stressful uh decompressing from your day work trying to go home have dinner with the family now it's time to go to bed and you're like wait like did uh did i flip that switch or did somebody flip that switch <laughs> and or, i'm gonna go to sleep and wake up to to kind of a disaster Stas, I'm curious, like, if you can think of in your career, not necessarily whether it affected you or something you've heard of, of like something that just could have easily been avoided, but, um, you know, 
but got but maybe fester to become a big problem due to just um you know maybe someone being overworked or just not having the ability to have visibility across the entire organization yeah for sure i mean this i mean this still happens all the time but um you know simple a simple example of this and i remember this well um is i was working at a company where they they would send payment instructions into an sftp folder and they didn't have uh, a prod and uh uh, at like a UAT instance, it would all go into it would all go into one folder, and then out of that folder, it would get it would get picked up depending on what the file name was. It was a terrible idea. I don't know who came up with this, but anyways, you can probably guess what ended up happening. Somebody sent a a, a UAT payment a payment instructions uh, with you know with the wrong uh, file name, and it got processed. And like this is the type of stuff that just gets overlooked, and uh, it you know it's it. It's a careless mistake, but it does happen. Um, and uh, you know, autom the one thing with with all the cloud, um, you know, with all of the cloud, you know, with AWS, GCP, and um, Azure, is um, they have sped up a lot of things, right? I mean, having to manage a data center on your own used to be a real pain, right? I mean, we used to have companies that would all they do would would, would be patching. They've just patched servers all day long, forever and ever. Um, and now, like you know, we have serverless technology. We've got infrastructure as a service. Um, we've just we've managed to uh, to really aut automate a lot of the really painful processes um, of the past. But with that, also comes other like other complexities. And um, you know, Derek alluded to some of those as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just a long-winded way. I think we're going in the right direction, but there's still a lot. Uh, a lot of room for improvement here, and the tooling's getting better. Um, but you also need the you also need the knowledge and experience to be able to do this because the space is very vast um, and very it, it un, unlike IT where it's still very much I wouldn't say siloed, but you definitely have your specialty and that's what you do. Whereas I with security, you're definitely spread across a lot of things and expected to know a lot of things across a lot of different technologies and at least know how they work at a basic level. Um, and I think a lot of, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen this, I'm sure you probably have, but like the, the amount of new entry level uh, security folk that are getting into the space from like other, um, you know, other industries, like, um, I interview them on a regular basis. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've helped so many as is, much is as I can. It's so great. That, can I guess what the first uh, what the first sentence is when you when you start talking to them? Is, is it um, why? Is it I'm not technical? Is that, is that yeah. the first um, thing they tell you? I've heard that a lot. Yeah, a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a great point though for from a mental health standpoint, right? I mean, the business can make a case for um, you know if, if if somebody misses something or it's oversight, and, and we get so here's that's that's a good good thought process just kind of came to me right which is yeah. okay if, if somebody makes a mistake then that could be that's you know obviously bad for the business and things could happen and uh you know so the, the company themselves needs to do things to you know alleviate the stress of that individual maybe not make them you know work but at the same time if you're that individual you're stressing that hey i don't want to make a mistake <laughs> screw up and then be the one that gets fired so there's yeah. this sort of catch-22 that happens there what what would it look like, uh, Derek? I'm curious from your perspective if you've seen uh, an organization do this well, or if maybe you've just thought about what good would look like. What does it look like when an organization is supporting their security team? What like what does it look like when an organization is helping to reduce stress uh, from their security folk? Um, have you seen it done well? 
Have you thought about if you were to see it, what it would look like? Uh, curious what you think. So I haven't seen it in very many organizations. I will say um, the gentleman I work for right now has always been very good about being there for his personnel, whether it's for pay or time off or whatever. It's always been, you know, what do you need? How can I help? And he would fight tooth and nail for you. And a lot of it comes down to the leadership, right? So as they say, people don't leave um, crappy jobs. They leave crappy managers because the, the, the job is the job. It's going to be the same everywhere you go. It may be a different tech stack, but the job itself will be the same. It's the leadership that dictates whether or not someone stays. And so, you know, if it's, if some, if you have an unlimited PTO, Right. And, and a lot of, I've seen a lot of organizations moving to this and some say, oh, that's so they don't have to pay out whenever, you know, somebody leaves, which is fine. I could have cared. I could care less about two weeks of pay. Cause a lot of times if I'm going to leave an organization, I have a job anyway. So what do I need that two weeks? Like, I, I, I'm just not that way. But for me, it's, do you honor it or are you forcing your people to take it? One of the things I try to enforce within the organizations I work for and the people that have fallen under me is you're going to take your PTO. I don't care. And I better not see you log in online. You better not sign in the teams to, to anything. You're taking your PTO. If I can have it my way, which depending on client workload um, usually works out, I'm going to make you take at least one week, a, at least two weeks a year, if not one week a quarter, because we need that time away. And if all you're doing is worrying about, oh, there's going to be work when I get back. That's the other part of it is having a good backup plan and having people there for if something happens. And a lot of times in security at organizations that aren't security focused, like an MSSP or something like that. So you look at your regular organizations that aren't security focused, they don't have backups. They have just enough people to man one thing and do one job to where if they're not there, they better hope it don't break or else they're getting called. Whereas as something like, you know, uh, an MSP or something like that, if they're not there, there's somebody else there that's doing the same job anyway. So they don't have to really worry about it. Now they might be leader in management like myself, where you're like, man, I'm going to get back in a week. And I just going to have a million emails and I'm going to have to go through and figure all this out. But like I say, if it's not an emergency, I don't care. Yeah. I, I really, I, it can wait. It can wait until Monday or my backup and my counterparts can handle it. If it's an emergency, they know how to get a hold of them. But you have to be willing to take that time off. And if companies aren't enforcing that time off or enforcing, hey, when you're done for the day, you're done. Don't, unless I call you, do not check, you know, your email or teams. If I need you, I'll call you. Um, and that's what people aren't doing. So when we look at it from a perspective of, of stress and mental health, a lot of it is self-induced. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is because we are, we're ADHD, OCD. You know, yeah. our, our neurodiversity and our mental health is already like highly focused on cybersecurity up until probably the past two years, every minute of my day was consumed with CTFs and hack the box and cybersecurity, this and learning that it wasn't until the past few years that I was like, I got to pump the brakes. I've got to step away and do things outside of security. That's when I got into my own podcast and my own stuff that I was doing on the side. And now I do that more frequently, yeah. but other people don't they still are like oh i love this i'm like yes but the time is going to come yeah you're going to be doing something and it's going to hit and you're going to hit that wall and you're going to be done 
even myself now, there's been many of the times that I've just been like, am I in the right career field? Like, am <laughs> we I, all, like, we all feel that way at some I think point. We've all been there. Yeah, for sure. Like um, I need something that I can just wake up, go to work and leave and not have to worry about anything. Sure. But then I wouldn't be happy. <laughs> I can say as a, as a leader, the, there's no better feeling than taking a two week vacation and coming back to work and realizing that the world didn't burn down without you that like, Hey, it all worked. It was all fine. Nobody called. Yeah. You have a bunch of emails, but like, I didn't need to be here because I built a well-oiled machine yep. and that makes things go. And you can't do that if you don't take care of your people. Yep. For sure. And I think, uh, I think a lot of this has changed with COVID as well. Right. I mean, um, mm -hmm. the, the idea of like, being done at five, unless, you know, as Derek was alluding to, if you're, <laughs> if you're underpaid or underappreciated, you might not be looking at, after, looking at anything after five anyways, but the majority of the people, you know, have, uh, have developed their own way of working, right. And their own hours. And, um, and often they don't keep regular hours. So, um, people are on, are on all the time and get involved with everything because they want to show that they're, you know, adding value to the organization that could be very detrimental to, to, to them and also to the organization as well. If you have, if you start developing a key man risk situation, which often that does occur. And that's the other big thing, right? Is a lot of us, a lot of people are working from home. Now there's another big detriment to working in an office. Also, it goes both ways. Personally, when I worked in an office, I did less work in an office than I do from home because in an go. office, I'd get up. <laughs> go to go fix something and then talk for the next two hours to somebody and then get back to my desk to do something else. So I got like, I, I'd say I worked maybe 10 to 15% of the day in an office, whereas at home, I'm actually working more often. But it also comes down to what are your work hours and is your company willing to work with you? Because there's a lot of organizations still to this day, even though you're working remotely, they require to see you online all day, mm -hmm. all day. If you're not online from eight to five or nine to five, what were you doing? Why didn't we know? Like they are tracking and literally putting it on home computers or phones or, or laptops, whatever they're sending out and however they're working, putting these systems in place that were developed by somebody else to essentially harass and track their workers to make sure they're working during business hours. Let's be honest. There's a lot of people in our field that don't sleep. So their best work gets done from probably 10 to two in the morning. Um, who cares when I'm getting my job done, as long as my job's getting done. It that's, done. And that's how I operate, even in leadership myself. If your work yeah. is getting done and the client is happy, then I'm happy. Yeah. Honestly, that's, be on that's, the meetings that's, you're that's, supposed to be at and get your shit done. Like that's yeah. it. <laughs> like, that's it. and that antiquated method of like, and uh, I've, I've turned down opportunities because, uh, because I've, you know, before pre-COVID, because it was, was a, hey, you need to be here from eight to five. We need to see you. Um, and and I'm like, I why, right? I don't like yeah. that. That that's an antiquated way of working. It, the, and the reason that people, um, you know, put those tattletale systems and all that stuff in place, or or I need to see you every day, is because those those leaders and those organizations don't know how to manage to performance or to output based work. They know. Because uh, again, we do a terrible, this probably adds to stress too. We do a terrible job. And this is just everybody in, in all of business of taking people when they become leaders and teaching them how to lead and manage people. You're really good at doing this thing. Cool. Now we're going to give you these people. And then they like, well, I, what do I do? I guess I watch them do it and make sure that they do it right. And I need it. So 
you know, they don't understand. Well, no, hey, I, Derek, I need these five things from you. Um, they're they're doing these days or this. Here's the deadlines for them. If you've got problems or questions, come ask me. And then that's it. Off. Like, come back to me when you have an issue and get done with it. And I don't need to see you online. I don't need to track that you're there. I don't need to have a meeting with you every day yep. um, to make sure it's happening. Um, but they they can't do that because they don't know what their employees are supposed to be doing. They don't know what they've tasked them to do, or they don't understand their jobs. Mm -hmm. or they don't have, you know, they don't know where their role rolls up to the rest of the company and how what they're doing actually impacts the business. And that's the problem. That's the 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 business culture mindset. It's not the. Um, but I also think I also think staff said it correctly too earlier, because it, it, in our industry in security, if things are going well and things are mm -hmm. secure. Well, what the hell are you doing? So yeah, you need exactly. something to turn in. But then if things aren't, you know, if, some, if they get breached or something goes haywire, well, what the hell are you doing? So so you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. So how do you, how, how as a leader and an organization that doesn't understand security, all they know is, are the blinky lights blinking? And if the blinky lights are blinking, then I'm, I don't need all these extra people. So extra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's they're that's, extra that, now that's until something process. happens. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so as you know, paneling the three of you who live in the security world, um, I'm curious and will I'll start with you. What do you do to, you know, you had mentioned earlier in this, how you've, uh, you know, took a look at your own mental health and ways to improve your mental health. What are you doing outside of work? Um, to improve your mental health, to to decompress uh, when you have time. Yeah, uh, well, there's there's two parts of that. One is, um, and having been in consulting and working remotely for most of my life anyway, that constantly being at work mentality was always there, right? The idea of like, oh, I'm not doing anything. Let me check my email. Um, I, I've I've actively stopped that. Like to Derek's point, it's 5:01. I don't have a meeting going on. I mean, I'm flexible. I have things I have to do. You know, global company, it happens. But um, you know, if it's not urgent, then I don't have to deal with it. Uh, as far as what I do, I mean, I'm a I'm a hobby addict. So if you've ever looked at my LinkedIn page and actually read it, you'll see that I probably have 40 or 50 different hobbies over the course of my life that I've had. Uh, and and I kind of rotate through them all. So I'll, I'll I'll do one for a while until I lose interest in it and I'll go pick up one of the other ones. And uh, yeah, so I, I definitely find ways to, uh, you know, engage myself in, in doing other things besides working because yeah, laying down to go to sleep and then your brain, everything running through there is all about work and security at night is no, is, is a terrible, terrible feeling. Um, so you, ha you have to find something to do to, to get that to stop. I, I agree. Yeah, that's uh, that's very true. Derek, how about yourself? What what do you do outside of work? A few things, actually. I mean, I got a wife and five kids, so they keep me busy as it is. Um, but yeah. you know, for me, it's like Will. When I was in the military, um, always on call, always I like it didn't matter what it was. I was always checking email or answering my phone or doing whatever. I mean, I'd be at the grill answering phone calls, um, trying to get things done. I'd be on leave answering calls or making phone calls, trying to get things done. So for a good portion of my life, I was never off work, um, whether it was in the military or out. It wasn't until COVID that I actually changed that. And so uh, in the summer of 2020, we decided as a family, so my myself and, and my parents and sisters and everybody um, went to Tennessee. 
And it was the first time in my career and in my life, I actually turned off every single notification on my phone if it was not coming from my family. I only wanted to get text messages from my parents and sisters or my wife, and that was it. I didn't, I didn't want anything else. It was the first time I ever did it, and it was the best feeling in the world. And I did the same thing that holiday season. And so for me, it's realizing that I can turn off notifications and the world's not going to end. And so I'll go out, I'll, I'll go into my woods, I'll, I'll hang out out there, I'll hang out by the fire. Honestly, for anybody who's watched any of my content or knows anything about me, I'm a big beer drinker. Um, I've tried to cut back recently just because every day is kind of a bad thing. Um, but especially on weekends, I'll still have a few beers and relax. I watch wrestling. I hang out with my kids. Um, you know, I'm, I'm active in the, uh, with my son's football team. Um, so it's just a variety of things that aren't computer and tech related anymore. Um, I mean, the most technical thing I do outside of cyber, outside of work is my podcast. And that's, I get to drink beer and talk to people. Like that's, that, the, that's, that's a good point. And I, and I know I'm going to, I'm cutting Seth off with that. Okay. Like there was a time in my past where I, when I, when I get off work and I would do stuff with computers um, and I have friends who would, you know, like be, you know, uh, hacking their phones and doing all this stuff, man, I, I, I don't, touch it anymore nope. like I, I have a, i have an ipad and my phone and like that's it um, and i don't you know. even jailbreak anything i i yeah, literally no, I don't, buy, yeah. stock, I, I buy it i my, use it yeah yeah i helped my daughter build a gaming pc it was the first pc i've built in decades that she wanted one and um for the last couple of days my wife's like you should you know she's she she's got she's out at school and her pc's still here she's like you should go hook the VR up and play Star Wars and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't know if I feel like I, I want to play, but I don't feel like doing the work to make it all get, get you know, I'm like, I don't even care about the technology. I got to upgrade my PlayStation 5's hard drive just to be able to get more games on there without moving yeah. them back and forth. And I'm just like, <laughs> it means I got to take it apart and put a new drive in. And I yeah, exactly. Really like, don't I don't even care. Do anymore. No. I think we're a good company here. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I mean, with me, um, you know, running running a startup now coming up to three years, you know, it's kind of consumed my entire life and is consuming my life. Um, but I've tried to, um, you know, I've tried to reduce the amount of time I spend on my phone and reading emails and freaking out about random, uh, you know, random customer emails that I get in the morning about this or that. Um, so I try and turn off the, at least the work profile at night. Um, and, you know, I, I'll... I'll do some cycling. I'm also a big beer drinker as well. So we're all, I think all of us here are in good company. Um, and uh, um, I was brewing. I mean, I was into hobbies. I've had a number of hobbies in my life as well. Brewing is one of them, but I just haven't had time for that. Um, and I used to, you know, I used to fiddle with uh, with tech all the time when I got home because, uh, you know, they wouldn't let me do it at work. So you know, <laughs> you know, that was my big thing. Yeah. In the military, I wasn't allowed to be, even though I was in security, I wasn't allowed to do my job. So like for me doing hack the box and, and CTFs yeah. and stuff, like it made sense. I was able to continue to learn and get better because Absolutely. I wasn't going to get better at work. No. So I was able to do it at home. But then ever since I got out, I'm like, I'm doing the job that I want to do. Why would I continue to do it? Right. After <laughs> it just makes to. no sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, you know, you know, 
building like Cody boxes or jailbreaking things. And then after a while, you're just like, I, like, I just don't have the patience for this and I can't get an update. So I can't get the latest, like I can't get the latest software because it's all jailbroken. Like, I don't know. I, I think, I think everyone kind of just gave up on that. Cause like, I remember whenever a new like Android version dropped, everyone was like, all right, how long is it going to be until it's rooted? And it was like, you know, within, within an it's hour a thing. Yeah. Oh, they still do that. Apple still holds their event every year and every year their, their software gets broken into and jailbroken and everything else. Yeah. Within like an hour. Yeah. And you know, it's, but yeah, um, I think just, uh, some, you know, peace and quiet, um, uh, at the end of the day is, you know, is, is really something to, is, is really something to be, uh, you know, kept at, at a high prestige. Right. Yeah. I, um, by the way, my hops will be ready to harvest here soon. Oh, nice. So what, three of, of us aren't that far apart. So, I mean, I have a brew day at my house. That sounds good. What, what type of hops? got six different varieties nice. so yeah again i don't i don't do anything halfway um yeah. so all of those hobbies i told you about it's yeah. not like oh i got a little bit of interest no that's like i i've invested enough time to be considered good right in most of those i'm the same way like i, I there's <laughs> not i don't do anything just like no i'm yeah. gonna go all the way but then yeah. i'm gonna hit my breaking point and just be done for a while yeah like, it's it all like my brew system is my brew system is not um like i started very modest and when i got up there and I, i've gotten to the point now where um I, I won't upgrade it until i like full-on build just a whole brew house because to me there's no middle ground for it right it's like i i can do it really well now i know what i'm doing um and until i want to spend that kind of money <laughs> this is just what how it's gonna go sure that's awesome that's fun well i uh First of all, I, I even think just conversations like this, right? Just just communicating is healthy. So I uh, I appreciate the three of you for jumping on here. This has been a really uh, just a fun episode to have a chat, uh, and I think we may uh, be surprised, that, but uh, there's probably a part two or three and four that we could have and continue talking about this. Um, so thanks so much for being here. Thanks for being a part of the show, and uh, we'll uh, we'll catch up soon. Thank you.